Hey, everybody, it's Mackenzie Freed, Miss California 2018, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Kim Cialdo. Hey everybody, my name is Tim Tialdo, and welcome to Season 2 of the Life After the Crown podcast. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to any of the previous episodes, I do encourage you to go back and listen, because there are many valuable interviews that you will definitely gain some wisdom from. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, welcome and thanks for checking us out. Each episode of Life After the Crown, I interview former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who share advice and stories on how to help you succeed in the world of pageants, but more importantly, how you can flourish in the professional world once your pageant journey comes to an end. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to download this podcast. I do value your time, and I'm glad you're here listening. So let's get started. My guest today was Miss California 2018 and achieved that title after four previous attempts. During her year, she served as the international brand ambassador for the American Pistachio Growers. She traveled over 60,000 miles during her year with the Crown and helped raise over $1.5 million for various causes and organizations. She used her scholarships to complete a dual major at California Baptist University and graduated summa cum laude with her bachelor's degree. She is currently working as a benefit auctioneer, event host, and pageant consultant, using what she has learned in pageantry to help more young women achieve their pageant goals. If that's not enough, she's also currently applying for law school. She is more confident, more prepared, and more motivated to pursue her goals beyond the crown because of her time as Miss California 2018. Mackenzie Freed, great to have you on the podcast. Welcome to Life After the Crown. Thanks for having me, Tim. I'm really excited. Very yeah. happy to be here. No, it's my pleasure. Now, I know you heard Betty Maxwell's podcast, and as, as with a lot of people, you were you were inspired by it and certainly you know, loved the conversation, uh, and I appreciate you reaching out mm-hmm. to me. Um, what about that podcast really got you fired up? Well, I think it, Betty's podcast and Savvy's podcast, I like every other Miss America fanatic, love the perspective of a Miss America because I will never get the chance to be Miss America, have that experience. So I love kind of getting that inside look, especially with all of the things that are going on within the Miss America organization right now. I think a lot of dedicated fans like myself are really even extra interested and attuned to everything that's going on. So when I listened to your podcast, your previous podcast, I just felt like there was a lot of information in light of what is happening within the Miss America organization that the general public was not privy to while it was happening last year. And I want people to have the full story. Does that make sense? No, that absolutely makes sense. We'll certainly get into all that today. Um, and, and what you said, you know, that, you know, there's a, a lot of diehard pageant contestants out there who love hearing the perspectives of mm-hmm. former Miss Americas. I've got to say this because I've never said this before. I think a lot of people wonder about it because I always wondered about it. And so if okay. I put on a bunch of Miss USA's and those podcasts, and then I mm-hmm. put on a bunch of Miss Americas, who do you think gets more listens? Oh, that's such a good question. Because a, a um, lot of people are like, I wonder which one's more popular these days. I don't know. I, I See, I competed in USA uh, for a minute before I found my place in Miss America. Mm-hmm. So I would listen to both personally, but also I am a fan of yours and I would listen to your <laughs> podcast anyway. You're kind. So I don't know. I don't know. I think I think there are probably more dedicated fans for Miss America that are not a 
competition age that religiously follow pageant happenings that would probably listen and tune into your podcast more so than the Miss Universe organization does. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. So here's the answer. Oh, no. (laughs) Everybody's on the edge of their seat. They're like, which which one is more popular? Now, remember, this is not like statistical, factual information out there. It's just my podcast. That's it. It's just for fans of my podcast and people who listen. It's two to three times more in favor of Miss America contestant. <gasps> really? Really. I, I, I got to be honest. I, you know, because I participate in the USA system, so obviously I have a, right. a ton of pull in there, and I know a lot of people, and I was surprised, but I'm, no joke. I mean, for instance, Betty's podcast, really? um, it's not the number one podcast I have, but it's very close. It's, it's number two by just a little bit right now. But, yeah, I mean, there's just – Wow. Yeah, I was surprised. So I thought a lot of people would want to know that, and I figured you'd be a good person to chat with it about. Well, uh, don't mind me being really <laughs> excited that Miss America is that popular. We well, love that. What that tells me is this, is that for everything that's going on, and you know, we're not going to get into all the junk today. We already did that with Betty and Savvy. Is that there right. is still a huge audience out there that is crying to do this, but... They're watching what's mm-hmm. going in on the inside and going, well, I don't want to do it right now because this is a freaking disaster, but they still want to do it. So the fact, you know, because I, I had a, a right. podcast talking about the relevancy of pageantry. I think it's still very relevant because I see the numbers behind the scenes and I'm like, yeah, no, there's plenty of people that still want to compete in this thing. And you know what, Tim, even regardless of the numbers, like strictly empirical statistical data in terms of interest in pageantry, The things that you learn by competing, and I'm not just talking about the Miss America organization. I think this is this is applicable to pageantry in general. The things and the skills that you learn throughout your time participating will never become irrelevant. Those skills are going to be beneficial to everybody that participates for the rest of their lives. And I personally don't think that will ever become irrelevant. And I hope truly that it never does. I don't and I don't think it will. I think you're right about that. But I want to I want to tell you, I've never actually had, believe it or not, this is stunning. I've never had a California winner on. So congratulations on being the first well, California winner. My, thank you for having <laughs> me. I'm honored. So I, I, I guess I want to talk about number one. Let's let's just talk about California, mm-hmm. because, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, Texas and California for the longest time were always known as those two big, huge legacy states that it was like whoever's walking right, in the, the door States. is a freaking stud. You know, they're mm-hmm. going to be super competitive. <laughs> And, you know, obviously winning that state is something that is not simple at all. I mean, we just talked about it in your intro. It took you five times to do it. So just talk about for everybody outside of California, what it's like to compete in the California pageant. So when I first started competing in California, I was actually only 17 years old. And it was my first experience competing in a Miss America local competition by some serendipitous serendipitous act of God, I won and had absolutely no idea what I was in store for. So I went to Miss California that year, competed, was in so over my head, Tim, you have absolutely no idea. That happened to be the year that Crystal Lee competed at Miss California and won and proceeded to be first runner up to Nina Davaluri at Miss America. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking at 17 years old, that if Crystal is the caliber of woman that even, you know, looking at the other women in the top five, if that was the caliber of woman and competitor that they were looking for, this was so not for me. (laughs) (laughs) But I really did. I really, really did. But during our rehearsal process, because competing at Miss California is very similar to competing at Miss America. It's a week long, at least. I've 
competed when it was 12 days long, but you are in Fresno, California, which is where the competition has been held for the last 25 years. And you spend the first three to four days doing appearances around the city, just generally visiting sponsors, doing news spots, and kind of getting uh, notoriety and excitement for the actual competition that's going to air later that week. And then you have entire days and evenings of rehearsals in theater, on stage. We actually start learning our production number during our orientation in April, and the competition is at the end of June. So it takes a lot of work. Miss California is very much so a production. So anyway, when we were in our rehearsals, I remember so specifically, I was sitting on one of the wings. I think I was sitting on stage left at our piano. You know how you have the piano in the wings that they can just wheel in and out for our talent. And I was just sitting there watching, probably thinking like, why am I even here? And Crystal came over and started talking to me and asking me about myself. She was asking me, you know, when I was graduating from high school, where I was going to go to college, what I wanted to major, what I wanted to do with my life. And mind you, Tim, this was a year that everybody knew that Crystal was going to win. Like everybody else was there as Crystal's backup dancers because she was, she was the star <laughs> of the show. I am 100% serious. But I, she, at that point, she wasn't Miss California. And Crystal has this incredible gift that I've now realized that so many Miss Americas and many state title holders have as well is the ability to make you feel like the only person in the room when, when they're talking to you. And I remember thinking that if she wasn't Miss California at that point and she made me feel like that, then I don't need to be Miss California to make other people feel like that. So I decided to continue competing. And each year that I came back to Miss California, I did better and better and better until last year when... June 30th, 2018 became the most ridiculously exciting night of my life. I bet. I bet and it was here incredible. we are, Tim. <laughs> After it was the crown. amazing. That's it really, right. really was. After the crown, I know. So many things have happened. Well, you had mentioned earlier um, that in listening to Betty and Savvy's podcast, you know, there are a lot of rumors out there about what happens and who does what and right. you know, what that experience is. And I'm never a fan of rumors, and I only like to really talk about either facts or firsthand experience. Obviously, you have the firsthand experience right. of going from winning California to competing at Miss America, seeing the behind the scenes, knowing what actually happens. So for everybody who is wondering right. what that process looks like, if they win, could you kind of walk us through it, please? I will say that my experience was pretty different than it has been in years past, and then it probably will be in years to come because my class was the inaugural 2.0 class. Ah. And that was a very interesting experience. And I, I would like to preface this by just saying that in no way am I trying to dissuade anybody from competing or to in any way make it sound like it, it was a terrible, awful experience because it really wasn't. I just, I simply think that there are a lot of people, a lot of Miss America fans that get really involved in making predictions and, you know, trying to decipher what's going on or forming opinions about what's happening within the organization. And they just, they don't have all of the information. And that's what I want to do right now is kind of give you, give your listeners the information that not everybody was given so that when they are forming opinions, they can be a little more informed. But my, my whole purpose in doing this is in no way to bash on the organization. Yeah, not what I want totally to do at all. I, just, I, I simply want to give factual information. So um, it's the beginning of June. So obviously in California, you compete in a local competition. You have to win your local in order to qualify to compete at the state competition. So I had already won my local. I actually won in October of, 
uh, the year before. So I had a very long time to prep and compete for Miss California. And in June, I believe it was the beginning of June, that's when the announcement was made that they would be removing swimsuit for the 2019 Miss America competition. That was like two weeks before we arrived in Fresno for the Miss California competition. Was it like crushing to hear that? You know, that was speculated for such a long time after the new leadership was instated in the org. So no, I was not crushed. I mean, obviously I was disappointed. I was actually the, uh, the fitness preliminary winner for the last two years in Miss California. So Honestly, Tim, that's where I got a lot of points. So I yeah, was. So you were like, man, you removed one of my best parts of competition. Right, and I was, I was pretty excited because I know, at least on the California level, how empowering of an experience that is, and how much it has done for me in terms of you know familiarizing myself with the way that my body works and the way that nutrition and fitness really affects everything that you do in every aspect of your life. There's so many things that I know about myself that I wouldn't have known if it wasn't for absolutely needing to in order to compete in lifestyle and fitness. But I mean, honestly, I was still going to compete at Miss California. I mean, at that point, I had already won a local. We didn't really know anything beyond, you know, swimsuit is not going to be involved. There was no added information in terms of what was going to be included in place of swimsuit, if there was going to be anything included in place of swimsuit. But I just, I don't know, we're already doing it, Tim. <laughs> it's kind of like you're hanging on to the side of a high-speed train, and there, <laughs> there was no time. There was no time to do anything else. I like that analogy. But I didn't, I didn't think about the fact until somebody brought it to my attention recently, there are state competitions that happen really, really early. The first one happens in April. And I learned that my Miss New Hampshire had already purchased her competition swimsuit for Miss America by the time that they made this announcement. Mm. So that was kind of sobering and a little eye-opening. But fast forward, the state competition runs normally, 1.0, you know, including all five phases of competition. It was amazing, had an incredible time. And then it's really, it's high speed ahead for Miss America preparation because I won my competition on June 30th. I left for Atlantic City on August 28th, I think, or the 26th, Mm -hmm. the end of August, before September, obviously. And that is such a small amount of time to do all of the things that you have to do in order to prepare for Miss America. And in addition to that, I think a lot of people don't realize that from a title holder perspective, yes, Miss America is the culmination, I think, of your time competing in the organization. But it's such a small part of your year that you still have to like do the job of a state title holder. So in the midst of preparing for Miss America in these very, very abbreviated few weeks, I was also trying to visit all of the sponsors and introduce myself. I was trying to do the news tour circuit and the media circuit uh, in terms of like making my my presence, I guess, known uh, throughout the state of California and what I was planning on doing for the year and all of that. So it was really, it was a lot, Tim. There's a lot of work that goes into those couple of weeks leading up to Miss America in the beginning of September. But this was a little different because we were actually not told what Miss America was going to look like or what it was going to be. The, the, not like the, the term, judging but the criteria? Yeah, or what the competitions were going to be until we got to MAO Teen in Orlando when we had our orientation. For those of you that don't know, Miss America orientation happens at Miss America's out or it used to happened at Miss America's Outstanding Teen in Orlando. And Orlando is at the end of July, which effectively was one month before we left for Miss America. And 
as leading up till then, we were all preparing based on the knowledge that we had of previous Miss Americas because we hadn't been given any additional information. So we did not know what Miss America was going to be, do, or look like until we showed up to, to orientation. And there we were given the phases of competition for the first time, 30 days out from actually competing in them. So we were basically prepping blind. And when we ask questions, so for example, when we ask questions about um, attire, wardrobe, most of our questions were either unanswered or they were answered with candidate's choice. That's one thing we heard so many times. And candidate's this is, choice. This is Gretchen or Regina? Both of them. Okay. Because they, they were both there. They both addressed us and kind of gave us the lowdown of what was going to happen. But there, was, there wasn't a lot of structure, and I understand they were trying to really make it an opportunity for all of us to express ourselves personally, but it was, it was really difficult to find direction when, when they weren't providing you with any bumpers. So in the past, you knew what Miss America looked like on stage at least, but this year, like, we literally had no idea. We were just told that it was going to be a new Miss America. It was going to be a new show, a new telecast. So they introduced red carpet wear, not evening wear, red carpet wear. And then we asked the very obvious question about, is there going to be an actual red carpet? At orientation, we were told no. We show up to Atlantic City for rehearsal. Lo and behold, there is an actual red carpet. (laughs) And I think that would, I mean, there's things I would have changed on my gown personally, had I known that there was going to be an actual red carpet that we were going to be walking on. So that happened. Our onstage question, um, we were told it was supposed to be an extension of our interview. It was supposed to be interactive. The idea that we were originally presented with that was not set in stone, but that was kind of the direction they were wanting to head was that there would be a, a back and forth with the judges regarding something that was addressed in our interview. That absolutely did not happen. The questions were kind of all over the place in terms of difficulty, in terms of subject matter. I was personally asked a question about a subject that I did not address in my interview at all. We didn't even briefly breathe over it. And then uh, the top five, what ended up being the top five question, like you've seen in the past, we were told we were changing it to a top five pitch. So you would have, anybody in the top five, you'd have 50 to 60 seconds to essentially give a closing argument about why you were the best choice to be chosen as Miss America. Interesting. And you were going to, yes. So you were going to have this, you know, uninterrupted time where you could basically convince the judges that you were the best person for the job. I found out eight days before I left for Miss America that that was no longer going to be included in the competition. I I guess, you know, up to this point. Okay. So you're, you know, a few days Mm -hmm. before the competition and hearing all this. Did you right. feel like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? Or what, what was your real thoughts? I don't think I ever uttered those exact words because I had worked so hard for this that I, I was very eyes wide open into going into competing and, and just in being a state title holder in general. Like I knew that it's not the incredible, glamorous, glittery facade that everybody likes to think that it is. I mean, it's a job. It is an actual 365 day, 24 hours a day job. But you went into it with an open mind. Right. I was very aware that it wasn't all glitz and glamour and evening gowns. 
And I think that really helped prepare me in terms of Miss America being not exactly what I thought it would be. But I, I am a person that really loves structure and I really love being prepared. So the more information that I have, the better that I can prepare, the more comfortable and confident that I am. So not knowing literally anything, Tim, was really hard. I think that was probably the most difficult thing was just not knowing what was going on. None of us knew what was going on. And I, there's one thing that I want to make very obvious to people that may not know is that state title holders, typically speaking, are the very last people in the hierarchy to get any information. So a lot of this information was coming from the national org to my state org to me, but it wasn't you know, coming directly to me. I was finding out as meetings and conference calls happened leading up to actually leaving for Atlantic City. So we finally were told without a ton of guidance and structure what we would be doing. But when we got to Miss America, that ended up changing a lot. So anyway, we got to Miss America. And when we got there, we started rehearsals right away. Every day that we were there, it was a day, like a half a day of appearances or events that we did. And then the last half of the day was always spent in rehearsal. So in rehearsals, we got a lot of conflicting information about the phases of competition. For example, this is probably the best example of us having absolutely no idea what was happening while we were there, as I could possibly give. We're rehearsing, you know, every day leading up to the actual start of preliminary competitions. And the first day of prelims, you know, competition groups, we compete in different phases of competition every night. So one of the groups does evening wear or red carpet wear, excuse me. And the competition concludes. We're back in rehearsals the next morning for the second night of preliminary competition. And while I was in rehearsals for red carpet wear, the producers and the uh, the stage crew kept telling us, you know, it's, it's sassy, it's attitude, it's a runway walk, it's fast, it's, you know, sassitude was the word that they kept using. Sassitude was the exact word. <laughs> and if you've never heard a middle-aged man say sassitude, it's very entertaining. I personally did not realize the, the sheer scale of production that is Miss America. I mean, Boardwalk Hall is absolutely massive. Mm -hmm. So it it's huge. I don't think I, I quite, yeah, I don't think I quite realized how many people and how much effort goes into making the production what it is, just in terms of cameras and personnel and staff and just everything. It was, it was a lot. There were a lot of people. So one group competes in red carpet where the next day we're rehearsing. They kept telling us that it's, it's all of these things. And again, they didn't tell us this ahead of time in terms of, of this being the judge's instruction, like this is what they were going to look for. They were going to look for you to be walking fast and be sassy and have attitude. And it's a runway walk. It's not slow. It's not elegant. It's, it's you know, snappy. And I literally could not walk that fast in my dress. I actually told the, our choreographers because the end of the red carpet wear production involves all of us that competed in red carpet wear to all walk, you know, single file together out to the front of the stage. And they were wanting us to walk really fast, obviously. And I literally had to tell them, like, I cannot walk that fast in my gown. I'm so sorry, but I, I literally cannot. And I don't want there to be this awkward space between myself and the, the girl in front of me. But we go back to the dressing room. So all of us, for those that may not know, all of the, all 50 of us are in the same exact dressing room. It's just one big open room. There are clothing racks along the walls where we put all of our belongings. And then there are eight foot tables lined up in three rows in the center of that room. And all of us are in the same 
dressing room. So we go back in the dressing room and we're kind of talking about how weird the instruction is or how, you know, kind of frustrating it is that this is the instruction because this isn't really what we were told ahead of time and we would have made changes to what we were wearing, et cetera, et cetera. Just generally kind of being like, oh, that's unfortunate. And the group that competed in evening wear, red carpet wear, the previous night said, wait, what did they tell you? So we're telling them the, the instructions that we got from the choreographers. And they're like, they didn't tell us that. We were not given that instruction. <laughs> and you're like, oh, good Lord. So we are all like, what is happening? What did they tell the judges? Are they changing what the judges are being told from night to night? Like, we were so confused. So we started asking some of the staff about just if we could get some clarification in terms of what exactly was happening. And one of the team members on the production team came back and said, you know, this is the instruction. This is what the judges were told. This is what you were told. You know, you were told this beforehand. And we're all like, mm, no, we weren't. <laughs> that information never made it to us. I think that was probably the moment that we all realized that this was not, this was not going to be what we thought it was going to be. Not first class. Right, right. So in addition to red carpet wear, the top five, which I previously said was going to be that top five pitch, that got nixed. And when we arrived, we were told that that top five was then going to be another interactive moment between whatever contestant made it to the top five and the judges, there would be two questions back and forth, an initial question and then a follow-up. And the night of the telecast, right before our top five walked out on stage, they, they were told that it was only going to be one question. So that changed. And then the peer questions, the top 15 all did peer-to-peer -peer questions. So, you know, one girl in the top 15 asked a question of the next girl in the top 15 that she had written. We did not find out that we would be doing peer-to-peer -peer questions until probably three days before the actual finals when we were in one of our rehearsals and we were handed note cards and said we're t we were told to write down three questions for peer-to-peer -peer questions and we were like what <laughs> wait i'm sorry what is happening so that was really interesting it was just it was a lot it was a lot of things that were changing while we were there it was a lot of unknown like i mentioned just a lot of not really having a solid idea of what was going on i have told people in the past that competing at this particular miss america was very much like lining all 50 of us up blindfolding us and telling us to throw darts at a moving dartboard and whoever got closest to the bullseye was going to win we it, had I, absolutely no idea at this point so you're all obviously confused it sounds like the production staff and the team yes. are not communicating transparently with each other so everybody's kind of in the dark right from a state title holder standpoint as you're standing there and saying you know i mm -hmm. worked my whole life to get here uh, I'm, you know even in hearing betty's podcast i mean the speculation has always been that they got this thing together so quickly and they were just interested in doing right. things to change for the sake of change. What were you girls right. thinking as you were standing back there going, you know, what what is this right now? I mean, did you feel like they had any grip on what was happening or they were just kind of literally throwing it together on the fly? I can speak for most of my class when I say that we were really disappointed that this was our Miss America experience. I will say that I am supremely grateful for being able to experience Miss America in Atlantic City in Boardwalk Hall. That is an experience I will never forget and will never take for granted. But I think 
a lot of us having worked many, many years to get to that moment and for this to be the experience that we had, it was supremely disappointing. And I think, I honestly, Tim, I don't really know. I don't really know what leadership was thinking. I don't really know what the production crew was thinking. There were there was a lot of talk amongst the choreographers, amongst the production crew, because both of those groups of people had been producing or had been involved with the Miss America competition for years. I think our production team had been the production team for 10 years or more. So this was a seasoned crew. This this wasn't a bunch of rookies. Yeah, but they were very much like us in that they were used to Miss America happening one way. They were used to seeing it as we have seen it on television for the last 90 some odd years that, you know, this is going to be, this is going to be as we've always known it, you know, the traditional iconic Miss America. So when all of these things were changing, I know that there are, our choreographers kind of expressed to us some hesitations that they originally had when they were told that things were going to change. So I don't really know. I'm not really sure how well these changes were thought out or if the repercussions of the changes were were fully thought through before a decision was made to go through with them or how that would, one, look on television or two, would affect us, the 50 women that were competing. Because the thing that we were constantly told day in and day out through orientation, through the time that we were in Atlantic City for Miss America, is that this is for us. The organization is for us, the women who are competing, the women who are changed by their participation in the organization. Like, this is all done for us. And I can tell you, personally speaking, from firsthand experience, that that did not feel like it was for me at all, not one bit. I felt very much like this was something that was done to me because when I was competing in my local competition, at Miss California, I was competing for one idea of Miss America, and all of a sudden, in an, in an instant, that Miss America changed. And I don't really know who she is now. I'm not really sure who Miss America is or who she's supposed to be. Well, Betty and Sabby shared their thoughts on it. Uh, you know, as you participated it in, in, in on live television, and you yeah. know, saw what it was, and then of course you've talked to everybody that's inside the system. You know, both in California, all mm-hmm. of your your fellow competitors across the country. Did that telecast severely damage enrollment and just uh, the overall attitude towards Miss America as a competition? It didn't in California. And I will say, I I know this this is very much so, seems like a very negative story that I'm telling. I wanted to be very factual, but I also want to make known that my time in California was absolutely incredible. We have a phenomenal leadership team in California. Our numbers in California, I don't believe, dipped at all, but that could have more to do with the strength of our program in California as opposed to the happenings within the national organization, simply because a lot of times the things that happen at the national organization don't always trickle down to affect the local or the state organizations right away. So I really don't think that we saw any lack of excitement or enrollment within our program in California. I can't really speak to other states because I don't have that information. But in California, I know we have a really strong program and we will continue to grow and continue to impact young women's lives and provide them educational opportunities through scholarships regardless of decisions that are that are made from the national office and we're pretty excited to continue doing that but I don't know I'm not really sure I hope not because I still think that competing at any level in you know local state or national has so much value and so much can be gained from experience and participation 
still, even even with the organization in its current state, I definitely think that the skills that you learned, like I mentioned earlier, are so valuable that it's worth it. The organization is, is still valid, in my personal opinion. Oh, and I have no doubt it's still valid. I mean, you know, I, I'm interested. So right. a- after that competition, obviously, Kara goes through her year. There's a lot of uh, scrutiny and you know, speculation about what's going on. Oh, he said, she said. Type oh, stuff. I have more. Oh, oh I have well, more well, with go that. Ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll let you go. So in addition to the actual onstage competition, all of the organizational changes in terms of the competitions that were changing and what the onstage competition would look like and Cara's letter. Cara's letter was released right before we left for Miss America, I believe is when her yeah, letter was I to say it was like the week released. of, something like that, maybe, maybe the week before. Right. I think it was the week before. And I just, I would love for everybody to know that leading up to and during Miss America, that is literally all we were asked about. Because the way that press works when you're at Miss America is that every day there is press in, or how it was when we were in Boardwalk Hall, there was a specific media room where if you were requested by a certain, or not photographer, reporter to come and do an interview, you were pulled for press during your lunch break and you would go and do press for an hour. And I kid you not, every single interview, this is all that they wanted to talk about. And typically, you know, this is your Miss America experience. They want to kind of round you out as a person and as a competitor and as a title holder so that if you do end up advancing in the broadcast or if you do end up winning, that the readers kind of have a better idea of who you are as a person. So things like what you majored in in college, what you want to do with your life, you know, your talent, how many times you've competed, how long you've been involved with the org, all of that kind of stuff. Literally no one cared about that. All they wanted to know was what we thought of the organizational changes, what we thought of Cara's letter and and the, the situation between her and our leadership. And honestly, Tim, these were all things that we literally had no knowledge or information about. So they're asking us questions that we couldn't speak to because we did not have any information about it. Had you all but read that's the letter all yet? that people wanted to talk about. Yeah, we had read it, but I mean, that was not, we, ha- we hadn't gotten to really speak to Kara about it. It wasn't really addressed in any of our communications with our leadership. So it was really like, that was very much so Kara's choice to obviously write and, and publish the letter. And I think that she's, you know, an incredibly strong human being for, for standing up and doing that and making her voice heard. I just mean that when we were being interviewed by people asking us about the situation, I mean, we didn't have any, any knowledge of that experience. Like we were not involved in that situation in any way. And yet people were wanting to get our opinions on it, but we, we didn't. Admit. No, they were just, they, we didn't they, have they, anything they, to they say. just wanted headlines. They just wanted you to say something that right. they could splash on a newspaper. Right. Headline. Right. But we didn't, we didn't have any information about it. Like all we, all we knew was what everybody else knew and what everybody else had read. That's all we knew. We didn't have any inside information. We didn't have any inside dirt that the public wasn't aware of. We didn't have any of that. We were very much so on the same page as, as the general public in terms of what we knew about that situation. If, for example, Cara was doing interviews, like she did an interview with Today while we were at Miss America, and we found out about that interview exactly like everybody else did through social media on our phones <laughs> while we were in rehearsal. Like we were not in any way given some sort of early sneak peek into what was going on. We we were on the same page as everybody else. That was a big, I don't want to say elephant in the room, because <laughs> it wasn't really, it was, it was just more so that 
it was something we couldn't get away from talking about. And it, it got to the point where I think a lot of us that were regularly pulled for press found a way to divert the interview back to talking about what was really something that we wanted to talk about. And that involved the competition, why we were there. And I mean, really, if the organization is for us and for all of the women who compete at every level, the local, state, and the national level, that's what we should be talking about. We should be talking about the benefit of the organization and how it's changed all of our lives for the better. But that's not what anybody really had any interest in discussing, as was seen by all the protesters that were in Atlantic City while we were there. There were protesters outside on the boardwalk. There were banners that were hung all over the city. All of us uh, state title holders, we actually got messages on Facebook that were telling us that we should throw the telecast, like we should just not show up. There were a lot of decisions of different state organizations regarding the petitions that they either did or didn't sign. And a lot of times the responsibility for whether or not a state organization did or did not sign a petition was placed onto the shoulders of the title holder. And let me tell you, Tim, I had absolutely no input about the petitions whatsoever. (laughs) I was not in that board meeting. I was not involved in that conversation as the state representative. That was very much so something that my state leadership handled on their own and did not involve me with. Yet I was criticized online for my organization not signing a petition quickly enough, you know, things like that. And we were all actually, while we were in Atlantic City, we were all messaged on Facebook about throwing the telecast and not leaving the stage after we all did our introductions. We were actually all given in this message, all 50 of us, we were messaged and we were each given like this, this little phrase that, that, you know, starting with the first girl and going all the way to the end made up this, I don't even remember what it was, but it was like each little bit was a sentence that we all said that was part of this flowing paragraph of something that somebody had written. And after we had gotten through it, we were supposed to stand on stage during the telecast and not leave until the leadership resigned. So who tried to coordinate? Who on Facebook tried to coordinate that with all of you? We were told that because when they messaged us, it was it was this random person, but we were told it was you know, members of the Miss America class of 1992 or something. Okay. It, it was prefaced that way. That's what we were told in the message. So but, no names I were mean, given. That, it was just more of an umbrella. Right, right, right. It was very much so, you know, we have a connection with the organization and, you know, we want you to do this. But, Kim, the thing that I really want to get across is that this was our one shot at competing at Miss America. The one chance that we got to live out a dream 10 years in the making for a lot of these women, it's a dream that they've had since they were children. And this is, this was our reality. People messaging us on Facebook telling us to throw the telecast. Family reunion or something. I mean, it sounds like a Yes, it really was. It was not at all what I was expecting the experience to be based on my conversations with previous state title holders, based on watching it on television. It really was something totally different than anything that had happened before. And there was no, there was no precedence. And, you know, on the one hand, my Miss America class bonded so closely because we all had no idea what was going on. So we were just trying to survive. And Miss America in reality has always kind of been a test of survival. You know, whoever is the last woman standing is probably going to be Miss America because it's just, it's such an intense time that you're there and you're competing and there's so many things that you're doing, just trying to get to the end of the week and not get sick, not lose your voice. If you're a vocalist, you know, just 
just trying to make it, just trying to get through the process. I think this past year, more than in years past, that was that was really magnified in terms of just trying to survive because we had no idea what was happening. I have gotten, you know, mixed feedback in terms of the entertainment value of what people thought of the actual telecast. I personally have not watched it, so I can't really speak to that. But Why haven't you watched it? It was just, I don't know, Tim. <laughs> I really <laughs> don't know. You're scared of what you're going to see? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I just, I think I'm, I think with any really intense emotional experience that you kind of need some time to remove yourself from it and think objectively about it before. Cause obviously, I mean, I was disappointed Miss America was my dream. I obviously did not become Miss America. So, you know, in the immediate aftermath, I was, I was really disappointed. I mean, I think that we have a phenomenal class. I think Nia is a great representative of our class. So in no way is that speaking negatively about the women who did do extremely well in our competition it was just, you know, it's always disappointing. And I've competed so many times where the result was not what I wanted it to be. So it's not, it wasn't a new feeling. It was just, I think it was also really sobering, the idea that I've been competing in pageantry for over 10, almost 10 years, not over 10 years, not quite that old yet, but almost 10 years. And after Miss America, that, that's it. Like that, I'll never do that again. I never get to have the chance to do that again. That was it. And that was a really sobering realization, I guess, just knowing that this thing that I've loved doing for so long, I, you know, reached the pinnacle. We did it. We made it to the Miss America stage. You got to walk on the Miss America stage and now it's, it's over. You know, it's, that was your one shot at being able to do it. Since then. Okay. So you didn't watch mm-hmm. yours, but have you watched anything to do with Miss America since? Yes. I mean, I, like I said, I still love the program. I'm still heavily involved in the Miss California organization and I, I'm, I obviously still stay attuned to the things that people are saying, uh, the gossip, the rumors, like we were talking about. And that's, I think that's another reason why I think it's so important to spread this information and to give people context to the experience. Because this year, the girls I know are already being bombarded with people's opinions and people saying that they should boycott and really placing their responsibility for the success or the failure of this organization on their shoulders. And to be completely honest, the state title holders are at the very, very bottom of this food chain. If it's, let's say, for, okay, let's say, for example, all of these girls boycotted, right? And nobody showed up. Mm-hmm. All of those girls would be replaced there would be a state representative at Miss America. They would make sure of it. So the boycotting, I really don't think would have any real effect. When you think about it, over 40 states ended up signing petitions leading up to Miss America last year and nothing happened. You know what I mean? So everybody has these opinions of whether or not the girls should or shouldn't be involved or what they should or shouldn't do. And I just, I don't think that's fair because I'm not saying that the state title holders don't have any influence because obviously they are the face and the spokesperson for the state organization. But I, I just think it's a very unfair expectation for people to place onto these women because these are 20 something year old women that are just trying to live their dream, Tim. I mean, I tried so hard to become Miss California. I competed for four years. And I was bound and determined to have my Miss America moment, no matter what it looked like. Nobody was going to tell me anything that would have convinced me to walk away from that once in a lifetime shot that I had at living my dream. And that's all that these women are trying to do. 
I just want people when they're when they're forming their opinions or they're posting something on social media or whatever it may be, I just I want them to really think about the fact that these are real women. These are real people that have actual feelings and believe it or not, we really do know everything that's being said about us. We know the rumors, we know the gossip, it always gets back to us. We are not aloof in any way. It's easy to look at a state title holder's social media and think that She's going about her life hunky-dory. Everything's perfect and peachy, and she just doesn't know what's going on. She absolutely does, but she's choosing to remain positive in spite of the things that are being said. But that's really the main reason that I wanted to talk with you, that I wanted to share this story and the factual experience that I had competing at Miss America last year. And I, I, I will be honest, the women that are competing this year, they're having a very different experience even than what I had. Obviously, it's a very different place. The competition is at a different time of year. I don't know if they know what the on-stage competition is going to look like. So I'm sure in many ways it is similar in terms of not really knowing all of the information, but it's also very different. So I'm not saying that I know everything about their experience, but I just, I think it's so important as fans, as dedicated supporters of the Miss America organization, that we also take into consideration the reality of the experience that these 50 women are having in just trying to live out their dreams. And nobody should be trying to convince them or force them to, to turn on that once in a lifetime shot or to try to convince them that this isn't something that they should pursue, because that's really not fair. I feel like that's a very unfair expectation to put on the shoulders of these women. Well, let me, let me wrap it all up like this. Now that you've been through that experience, um, you know, things are going as they are right now. I personally Mm -hmm. believe that the organization is in trouble and I don't mean all of you contestants and all those people competing at the local level. I believe at the leadership level, there's some serious issues going on that need to be ironed out. But All that aside, as a former state title holder in the Miss America system who competed at the national pageant, Mm -hmm. as you look at it today, what would you like to see happen? Because something obviously needs to happen, but, you know, everybody's got an idea of what they think that would be. What's yours? I would love to see a defined direction for Miss America. Like I said before, I really, I don't know who she is. I don't know who she's supposed to be, what she's supposed to represent. There, there doesn't seem to be a defined job description or direction for the organization and for the woman that is Miss America and who's really leading as the face of this organization. And personally, I don't think it's possible to, to run a successful organization without direction. So first and foremost, before anything else, I think that is of supreme importance. I also think it would be great to have a CEO or a president of the org that has some nonprofit business experience so that they actually are familiar with how an organization like this needs to be run, how it functions from the inside out and the ways that it can be run more efficiently. Because I mean, every nonprofit, I think, struggles in terms of funding or being able to really especially with Miss America, being able to fund a production like we have, I think it's really important that we have somebody that understands that aspect of our organization, not just the competition aspect, not just the business aspect, but also the the fundraising, the nonprofit side of the Miss America organization that they're really able to kind of bring it into, bring it into its own. Because I really think that Miss America is not dead. (laughs) There's been a lot of- I don't think that. I definitely don't think that. No, I see so many headlines of Miss America is dead or, or, you know, it's on its way, it's a sinking ship, et cetera, et cetera. 
I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think pageantry is going to devolve into obscurity or into um, being this arcane sort of thing of the past. I really think that with the right direction that Miss America can, can really come into her own as being a modern day American icon that's extremely influential in society. I just, I think it's going to take a concerted team effort from some very smart, uh, very dedicated people to make that happen. And I don't know when that will happen. I don't know if that will happen. I can only hope, Tim. Yeah, I, I think it just really comes down to this. I think the organization itself is very much intact. And as I mentioned at the beginning with just the podcast numbers alone, there's still a huge audience out there that not only loves pageants, but they right. love to compete. I think it's just a right. couple of people stubbornly standing in the way that won't just practice some humility and step back mm -hmm. and let some people take over who can help. You know, it, it, they've made it about themselves. And I think that's the hardest thing for anybody in the pageantry world to watch. And I had a previous podcast guest on that basically said when it's more about the leadership and their faces than it is about the faces of the girls competing, we've got a problem. And that's really, I think, what a lot of us have seen. Now, I know she took herself out of the quote, leadership role and put herself on the board, but she's still there and she's still trying to, you know, keep her hands on, on the process. And I think if you just take the, the glue out of the gears, so to speak, this thing is a, a well-oiled machine that could get chugging really, really strong again very quickly. I truly do I think believe so. that. I think so too. I mean, we've been around for almost a century. We're almost there. This is 99. This year is 99. Well, I, look, I, number one, no. I appreciate you with three pages of notes sharing all the information and facts <laughs> about the experience. That's amazing. Thank you. And I just, again, I, I really, I think that there's a lot of times, and it's really easy when you're so passionate about something, like a lot of the fans, the dedicated fans of Miss America, it's so easy to form an opinion and be really, really married to that opinion based on the information that you have. But the information that you have may not be all of the information. And if you do have all of the information, you may form a different opinion. That's what I wanted to provide by talking to you and, and hopefully giving your audience the, the two to three times more listeners that you have <laughs> listening to this America podcast, just a little bit more of an inside look into the reality of the organization and what these women are going through so that before they type something up or criticize something on the internet that they maybe think twice about doing that. Well, and you know, it's the age of social media. So of course it's super easy to just right. you know, get, get pissed off and just throw something out there, which doesn't help anybody. But Absolutely. you know, I, I think what you're seeing across the country in both uh, Miss Universe organization and Miss American organization is when people mm -hmm. are angry that you have taken away something that meant so much to them, or at least taken away the version that they really enjoyed, there's backlash. Right. And I, you know, you, you would see that in politics, right. you would see that in a business, you would see that in a family. And I think that's what you're seeing. And mm -hmm. I just, all, all I wish is that mom and dad at the top, whoever that is, would listen and and, mm. and do something <laughs> about it. But I think that's what's, that's what it feels like is they're just muted. They're not just they're not doing anything or saying anything to ease the minds of the hundreds of thousands of women across the country who are going, just tell us something. Help us to know where you're going right. or what you're doing so we get it. So we know, should we do this or not? And honestly, Kim, they may not know. They may not have answers to those questions. And if that's the case, that's scary. It, it, it just, and that's it's just terrifying. I yeah. yes, I agree. But I just that's reality. And I, I know that that's, it's so difficult to function in, in an environment like this, speaking from experience. I think it's going to take a lot of overhaul for Miss America to get 
back to her her crowning glory, pun intended. But I definitely think that it's possible. Well, I, I, I'm certainly cheering for that. I, I know that I, I, for one, have been critical of the leadership at the top. And, you know, I, I certainly stand by that. But I, I, I want the organization and both organizations, for that matter, to thrive again. And I think that's what we're all hoping Thanks. for. And, uh, you know, just look, your facts and experience really help just kind of continue the conversation forward. And I hope that, you know, somebody hears this and a light bulb goes off and they kind of understand a little bit more about why the girls do what they do, why the state organizations function the way that they function, because it really is, right now, I think it really is just a matter of survival. Well, I'll tell you what, we've been cranking along for about an hour here, so I want to wrap things up a little bit. I'd like to do our little 10 get to know you (laughs) questions, if you don't mind, real quick. Are you ready? (laughs) I am as ready as I will ever be, Tim. Yeah, we'll we'll get more lighthearted here. Okay, here we go. Number one. Okay. Have you ever worn socks with sandals? Yes. Oh my gosh, probably almost every day. (laughs) Okay, so all the time. All right. Number two, would you rather climb a mountain or jump from a plane? Mm, Probably, I would probably be more likely to climb a mountain, but like everybody else in the world, skydiving is on my bucket list. We'll see if that actually happens. All right, number three, if you were really hungry, like really hungry, would you eat an insect? No, never. I would never survive on a reality show like Survivor, ever. Number four, how long can you hold your breath for? Probably not very long. Maybe two minutes. Maybe. Two minutes is a long time. Is it a long time? I was yeah. thinking four minutes is a long time. Maybe I'm overestimating. Four Maybe minutes, I'm you're, you're going to be in like the Olympics. Yeah, you're going to be an Olympic <laughs> champion swimmer. Okay. Maybe maybe like 90 seconds. Maybe as long as a, as a Miss America talent performance. 90 seconds. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, number five, have you ever seen a kangaroo in person? I have not. I have not been so lucky, which I'm glad about, though, because I've seen a lot of stories recently about kangaroos attacking people and punching <laughs> them. So I'll probably admire from a distance. All right, number six, when people stand up for a standing ovation, are you usually the one of the earlier people to stand up or one of the later? Oh my gosh, I'm usually always one of the later. Unless it is a it is a pageant where, you know, the the previous title holder is coming out for her final farewell, I will always be the first to stand for that. But for everything else, I'm usually waiting for the cue from the rest of the people in the audience that it's socially acceptable to stand. All right, number seven, if there is a spider in your house, do you kill it or do you set it free? Oh, kill it. Oh my gosh. Kill it with fire if you can. <laughs> it cannot uh, be allowed to reproduce. Yeah, get out. Okay. Number eight, polka dots or stripes? Probably stripes. Number nine, when was the last time that you stayed up past 4 a.m.? Um, unfortunately, last night because I have a new puppy that does not sleep for more than two hours at a time. Number 10. What is your favorite clothing brand? Ooh, I don't, I don't know that I have one, Tim. I am a failure as a woman. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> well, if you I, just like I a bunch, that's okay. A you don't, you don't have to have one. I'm a fan of whatever is well constructed and cheap. Well, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Well, you're off the hook. Thank you so Thank much. You. And uh, th- this has been uh, enlightening, to say the least. I, again, I really do appreciate you reaching out to me and, and sharing all this. I, I think we're just going to keep continuing this conversation until things start to 
move in one direction or the other because I, I don't see it ending anytime soon, but I just don't know. But you right. know, people like you contributing to the conversation certainly help. Absolutely. I think the more truth that we have, the more people speaking their truth about their experience, about their love of the organization, especially if they're doing it from a place of love and passion for the organization and what it's done for them, I think we will be moving in the right direction. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode and to Mackenzie Freed for her time. Now, if you want to follow Mackenzie's journey on social media, you can check out her Instagram. It's at osnapitzkenzie. I'll spell that for you. O-S-N-A-P-I-T-Z-K-E-N-Z-I-E. Or you can just go to her website, mackenziefreed.com. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, Google Play, YouTube, or go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And for weekly podcast updates, you can follow me on Instagram at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of Romans 3, verses 5 to 8. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the whole world? But someone still might argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Have an awesome week, everybody. 